Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. That's all good, right? Today, by Dave Pettis, Adam Jones, Sam Carroll, and Gav Buckland, as you the fat and all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And, of course, this week, all the major talking points in Europe too. Uh, podded. In an impromptu fashion earlier in the week, when the European Super League was still holding up under the pressure applied to it by the rest of football. But things have dramatically changed since we pod. So we will discuss the fall and the breakup, or seemingly the breakup of the ESL. Uh, and then maybe get on to talking about some football. The Blues have a game tomorrow night, don't they? Trip to the Emirates. Um, and so we will discuss that. But of course, um, and I, I think because. Um, we were on on Tuesday. Gav, I'll start with your ESL stuff. We went yeah. into, um, you know, on the Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, when it was still, it was still very much a possibility. Things have changed. The six clubs uh, from England have pulled out. Uh, is this going to be the last we hear of it? Uh, that's a good question. Um, as a concept, uh, yeah, I, I think well. Not for the foreseeable future. Um, for the for lots of reasons, I they've, they've shown uh, that you know they've managed to draw draw fans and commentators access all into one place against them. Some doing, doesn't it? Really, you think about it. You know, if you think about the, the hatred to each other on social media and all them people, all of a sudden they're uh, you know working cohesively against it. Um, that's why it's better. Can organise for the start. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was amateurish. You know, there was that there was that Martin Martin Yall uh, quote as soon he said, "Once you get below the, the glitter and glamour, for it, it's running an amateur. It, it, it's amateurish. It's run as that in an amateurish fashion." And, and I'm not saying that that's right across the board, but you've shown this week that that's the case. And was that was that was one of the gym? Representative said that you know you you underestimate the stupidness of football owners at your peril, uh, and um, I say not everybody. You know, there's some good owners. So we've got one, um, you know. But you do, and, and, and even at the table of European football, I think to me the most important thing is about this is to make something like that work. You need all 15, 20 clubs all pushing in the one direction, don't you? And I believe in the same main objectives out of it. You know, what you saw this week is probably three or four different groups, even with a, within a group of 12 or 15 clubs, um, all wanting something different and doing it for different reasons. So I couldn't in them then by racing on an ongoing basis. It would, it would seem ludicrous. Um, and so for those reasons alone, I think it will be happening for the foreseeable future and hopefully there'll be legislation to make sure it doesn't happen in the foreseeable future as well. So, 
Um, that doesn't necessarily mean this. I think there's a conversation about about football. I think everybody is that. So certainly I do. She's showing up football, not in a great way, and that a lot of work needs to be done to certify its inequality and the stuff that's wrong with it. I mean, this, this, I mean, one thing, I mean, I've been watching football for 50 years, I've been writing on it like that, and the one thing you learn quite quickly is people who run football clubs, by and large, are dozy. And that goes back more than 20 Premier League era, goes back to the 70s, 60s, that type of thing, because they've been skilled in one business and made the money in one business, and they apply that to another business, it's a unique way it operates. Yeah. And, um, you know, you keep up those skills... And you can have the people around you, but those skills aren't transferable. And, and that, that thing going on for decades, um, and, um, and now it's, it's just magnified even more to the money involved. And the fact you've got people from overseas involved in, in football. So yeah, that, that, it does surprise me the way it was organised, to be fair. What a slick, was it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, Preno, Gav mentioned the word legislation there, and and and, and hope you know that idea that something may be brought to stop and prevent this 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 plan ever taking flight again. Um, we spoke on Tuesday about Farhad Mashiri's comments at the time he was calling for points deductions. Should that still be on the table? Should sanctions for the for the silly stick still be on the table? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, uh, UEFA have made the stands relatively clear although there's been stories like filtering around today suggesting that you know the possibility of sanctions still exists but you know Severin's comments appeared to suggest that uh, they're just being welcomed back into the fold uh, which does leave the opportunity for the I prefer Sinister Six that that was a that they were an old uh, Marvel supervillains group um, (laughs) and then the Spider-Man comic and yes it it seems to sum them up quite nicely Um, but they'll just do it again. They'll try again. They'll have another go. Florentino Perez has almost said as much today. You know, so this one's gone away. So by for the next one. To prevent that, you do need some a strong, you know, sort of binding legislative action, uh, which prevents teams, you know, sort of jumping ship and creating or you know, sort of taking part in new uh, ventures, or punish them to the extent why they will want to consider uh, doing it again. Uh, it's a balancing act. If you do, you know, sort of punish teams, you know, with argument financially or with, you know, with points deductions, does that then create a sense of resentment and a desire to to get away? And there's also that argument: who are you punishing really? Because you know, these this decision was taken by the owners of the six football clubs. It seems almost universally, without consultation, the managers, the players, you know, certainly not the supporters. And I know the arguments I've seen it all on social media. Hang on, Everton suffered badly in 1985 uh, through, you know, so no fault of their own. We weren't consulted about being banned from Europe, but that they were very, very different circumstances. Uh, and you know, can you punish the owners of football clubs by punishing the clubs as well? It's a very, very difficult balancing act. And you know, maybe a strong financial sanction would be the way to go in this. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there's still talk going on, and I believe at the, the Premier League meeting, you know, some were as you know, sort of vocal and aggressive in their tone as, you know, as, as any others. And I don't think we can underestimate as well the part that Everton played in this. Uh, I mean, OK, you know, it started it started really with Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville, and they're, you know, sort of passionate articulation 
uh, on Sky News. But equally, Everton's statement, I know we've discussed it previously, was magnificent. Uh, it was so strong, you know, preposterous arrogance. I love that phrase. I don't know who came up with that, uh, but I'd like to continue. That, with... that has the German written over it, <laughs> as, as does the Oscar Wilde comment in the, um, in the Premier League meeting. And I think we can safely say that JB Priestley being referenced in a social media tweet was entirely down to Bill as well. <laughs> but there are, you know, sort of parties up there as well. Uh, but yeah, Harrison had a, a big part in, you know, sort of not leading the other four, you know, 13 clubs because you know, they were all very, very outraged. But I think the tone that Everson took encouraged other clubs to be as full in their outlook. Well, and what happens, we have to wait. But yeah, certainly the potential for punishing these clubs has to be considered, I would say. Mm. I um, I had an email from a Liverpool fan this morning. Um, he, was, <laughs> he was taking me to Tesco over my place where I, I think on Tuesday night, where I said, the European League is collapsing, but these clubs still need to be punished, and the Premier League needs to, um, you know, leave no stone unturned in finding a way to punish them. Um, he, as as you allude to, has said, "Well, the, if, if they are punished, it's not fair on the club and the players and the fans." And, and Adam, he's right, and I, and I understand that it would impact the players and the fans, but ultimately, as I've said to him in my reply. Um, the club are represented in these talks by the by the owners, the people who make the decisions, and those same people have made decisions that have benefited the football club. So you can't be one rule for one, one rule for the other. There has to be, there has to be some consequences because they'll do it again. It may not be called the European Super League, and it may be twelve months, eighteen months down the line, but it will come again unless there is a deterrent. And yes, these these somebody will suffer, and it will be the players, uh, managers, and fans because they may be hitting the pocket or may get points deductions or whatever. But don't blame don't blame the Premier League. Don't blame me for suggesting so. Blame John Henry, blame Daniel Levy, etc. Well, that's it. And I think, you know, nobody was saying anything like that when Wigan were docked points uh, a few months ago. Was it last year or something like that? They were docked points by, you know, decisions made by their owners at the time. You know, the players and the fans had absolutely no part in that. They were docked points and that was just, that was the punishment that they were given. And I don't remember there being any sort of backlash on on this kind of level uh, for for that sort of decision. I mean, I think people are acting like you know this is something that only happened from Sunday to Tuesday because that's when that's when happened. That's when you know obviously it's kind of disintegrated. But this has been a, a months long conspiracy essentially between all of these twelve clubs across Europe to to absolutely do the rest of the Premier League and the rest of La Liga. Yeah out of huge amounts of money and to try and set up their own competition that was fully self-beneficial for themselves. Like, I, I, I can't be having, you know, Arsenal coming out and apologising and John Henry going, oh, I'm sorry, in a little video. And then suddenly everyone goes, actually, he's all he's all right, him. And, you know, it wasn't the club's fault or anything like that. He, he's like all of these, all of these people in charge of these clubs, they are smart businessmen. That's why they've got the position that they are. And it, I have no doubt in my mind that they absolutely knew what the backlash was going to be. They surely must have known what the backlash was going to be. It can't, they can't have been so unprofessional as to not see what the backlash was going to be. I don't think they realised how strong the backlash was going to be, perhaps. But the people wouldn't, wouldn't like this at all. And they still went ahead of it with it. And they still, they still were powered by greed and they were still powered by their own self-interest. And I don't think that changes just because they will come out, and, you know, Try to say, well, we've, we've backed out of it, oh, aren't we great? 
no, <laughs> it just it it doesn't work like that at all. I think they still deserve to be severely punished for this. And you know, it, it, I, I do feel sorry for. I think that's the main reason why I felt sorry for fans in the first place because you know they they'd been completely governed by decisions that you know they weren't consulted by and they they didn't make at all. You know, if their club had, had gone, if these clubs had gone ahead with the Super League, you know, I think the fans would have been severely affected. And fans are still going to be really affected now because I do think that these clubs deserve points deductions. I think they deserve fines. I think European bans should be getting considered as well for them. Because, you know, how can you walk straight back into the Champions League or the Euro League after what you had to do, Seth, when you completely knew your in competition? That just blows my mind, to be honest. So, yeah, I, I, it is It is a shame that I think the the club's fans and the players, are, of course, are going to be affected by this. But it, it's just... It's just the way the things have to be. Unfortunately, that's just that's just the way that the the way that the land lies at the minute. And I think the Premier League, the rest of the Premier League, at least should uh, should hopefully try and see that. Um, Gav, um, the Champions League there and the new format uh, from 2024-25 season expands yeah. into this one league, 36 team. Yeah. You know, everybody plays ten games, five at home, five away. Um, Carlo Ancelotti. Reaction was interesting to me because he said at this conference he thinks the new format will um, help it be more exciting. Um, yeah. you know, him saying that you know the Champions League and the current the current guys only gets exciting at the last sixteen quarter final stage. But I was thinking to myself, I, yeah, I where he's coming from, but the format doesn't help Everton access the Champions League. It's it's, it's not designed to give Everton a, a, a foot up. In getting into the into the you know the the, the leading competition in Europe, and there's those two of those extra four places are based on the coefficient, and they're basically yeah. how you've done in Europe over the previous five seasons. Yeah, it's my my experience. Well, I think I've experienced of competitions is the more teams you have in the competition, the worse it becomes. Seeing that in World Cups, you've seen that in the European Championships, you've seen that in the the Champions League in terms of the the overall quality and in tracks, you know. Now, I remember, I remember the, 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 the me and Prano probably when there was there was there was made when he expanded the World Cup from sixteen to twenty four teams. Mm-hmm. You know, now they're sort of about forty eight um, because they said they diminished quality. Yeah, I, I get that completely. Um, you know, there's largely been forgotten about this week that the, the the new Champions League format and the the so called Swiss model. Um, I, I, to me, if anything, it'll have more dead, dead clubbers than what we've got at the moment. It's just more, more games mean more money for the big teams, so I don't think it helps, you know, makes it more equal. And, uh, you know, gives it more equality than what we've got at the moment. And as you say, you know, one of the, uh, I think, commented on this yesterday, one of the, uh, the quirks of, you know, this about people talking about legacy fans. They want younger supporters, but it's happy to have legacy performances to come towards your Champions League qualification that's being watched by legacy fans, you know. So can't have it both ways, can you? Um yeah, I mean I, I would imagine incestually what happens at this because obviously you have said you know, for that the they they can tinker around with the format and you would hope that those two places will be um, will be taken away, given to the, the the champions of some of the some of the countries that don't have automatic qualification at the moment. 
I think mm. otherwise you will be seen to be a little bit hypocritical. It's going to just say about bands, I just I know it's, I think it's really difficult to ban people or because of television rights and TV contracts. If you, you know, the Premier League uh, contract for the new at the end of the season, but it's not like three teams, the top teams still playing at the championship. <laughs> the first season of the contract, it diminishes the rights value, doesn't it? And probably subsequently. Same thing with the Champions League. I mean, what if took took 12 uh, teams away from the Champions League next year, you know, seven or eight of the biggest teams in Europe. I think there'd be a few broadcasters having a word with UEFA, wouldn't there? Mm. That, that's why uh, it feels uh, yeah, a financial penalty or even a points deduction yeah. seems more likely, doesn't yeah. it? But, um... yeah. but like those TV contracts would have been completely obsolete if they'd have done what they wanted to do. Yeah, but, but they haven't the lot in Adam, but but there will be there will be words had, I think, had there's all sorts of clauses and stuff. Uh, and whether legally you could do it anyway, but it, it all points to you know, I think they've got to do something, haven't they? You know, they can't just sit right down and do nothing. And that is some sort of punishment, but also a steps in the right that steps in the future to make sure this doesn't happen again. And also what I'd like to see is, you know, remove some of the power big six in England, you know, because I've got this strategic review of the Premier League at the moment. It's within that is certain certain steps that they want to increase the power within the Premier League in terms of the decision making to give that more to the bigger clubs. And I think that's something that should be, be looked at. Maybe it won't get pushed through now. So there are steps you can do to diminish their power and punish them that way. Um, but it'll just be incessant. I, I just don't think it's as easy as what you think. Mm. Uh, punching people. Yeah, no, certainly isn't um, isn't isn't straightforward. Uh, <clears throat> I was I was sad enough to uh, look at the UEFA club coefficient league table uh, earlier this week, and for anybody who did read the piece put out <clears throat> on Tuesday or Wednesday, I think yeah, Wednesday wasn't it? Yesterday, Everton currently seventy seventh um, in the club coefficient below Burnley and uh, Wolves as things stand. So plenty of work to do, Preno. But is Carlo Ancelotti talking so enthusiastically about a new format for the Champions League because he's convinced he's going to take Everton there through the normal routes anyway? I don't know. It's, you know we need to like drill him a little bit more on this because the whole concept of you know, the, the changes leaves me very, very cold. I mean... Um... What was it? Groups of ten now. Uh, the, you know, sort of playing each ten other. Get, so it's a thirty-six team Champions League tournament, and uh, each team will play ten games: five at home against different teams, yeah. five away against different teams. Top eight, I think it is, automatically go through to the knockout stages, and then teams nine to twenty-four have a playoff <laughs> round to determine who goes into the knockout stages. From there, it takes its normal, normal sort of uh, format. So using the uh, the catchphrase simplicity is genius. That is absolutely idiocy because um, it's just it's just too complicated. You know, football in its purest form, you know, is, is a great competition. That's why the Bay Cup was so successful for so many years because you know it's straightforward knockouts and by the original European Cup, the Champions League changes when they were introduced. I mean, initially there were you know sort of two groups weren't there, which you know sort of ended up with the. T- two teams playing each other in the final. Uh, he ended up with Glasgow Rangers almost making a final one year because uh, they, they got quite close to the top of a group. And 
that didn't last very, very long because it wasn't particularly successful. Um, and I, I, I'm uneasy about these changes. I, you know, maybe in practice they will turn out to be inspired, and you would like to hope that UEFA have done the you know due diligence and calculated you know so why this will be successful. But I, I'm not so sure. Carlo is enthusiastic about it. Well, okay, maybe looked into it so much more you know so detailed fashion than I have which is why he's enthusiastic. I mean, he said many, many times that, you know, he believes, you know, so Everson should be in Europe. He wants to manage in Europe. You know, he spent his whole career managing team with three or four days and he wants to, you know, replace that again. Uh, and obviously he wanted to do that in the Champions League rather than the Europa League. But I was a little surprised, I have to say, by his enthusiasm for these changes. Um, I, I'm not sure about them at all. And, you know, we've just campaigned, you know, vociferously about, you know, a new European Super League. Why isn't the same kind of um, campaign being mounted against these Champions League changes? Or am I in the minority? Do the, do the majority of people actually welcome them and want them? I don't know. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Essentially, the big clubs, the 12 we're talking about this week, they've got 80% of what they wanted already through the change in the Champions League format. Um, the two places, you know, uh, so, um, you know, it's not necessarily a win for the people outside the, the big 12 or whatever this week. They thought that they've got a lot what, of what they wanted with this change in the Champions League. You know, it would be interesting to see how it pans out. Adam, which, um, which European competition will uh, Everton find themselves in next season, if any. Does the Intertoto still exist? It's now the Europa Conference League. <laughs> International Champions Cup or something like that. Every season. Uh, yeah, honestly, it's such a hard question. Like, let's let's presume that like there's going to be no sort of points deductions or whatever, because I do think that's probably very unlikely. If I'm if I'm honest. Uh, I don't, I don't think the Champions League. Is, I know it's you know mathematically still possible, but I, I I don't think it's particularly realistic at this point. I think Everton have got a pretty pretty difficult running over the over the last seven games, especially I keep looking at that City game last game of the season. I'm thinking to myself, I really hope that Everton don't need a win in that in that last game of the season because otherwise it's going to be it's going to be massively tricky to see. Uh, I think Europa League is still is still. Uh, Certainly a possibility. I would say that while Everton have got a tough run in, I do think that Everton have probably played better in their tougher games uh, this season. You know, going going away to Arsenal for example tomorrow, I think that really holds holds the sort of impact that it has in previous seasons. Like I'm fully I'm fully hoping and expecting a win from Everton uh, tomorrow against Arsenal. Three points ahead of them, having played one game less in the Premier League season. You know, like Mikel Arteta has come out today and said, you know, his side essentially need to win every game. Carlo Ancelotti earlier said that, you know, he, he needs Everton to win five out of seven. Although he did, did you notice he rode back on that slightly? Yeah. yeah oh, I, said, well, I, said, I said, I said, it could be four and some draws. Uh, you know. <laughs> so, well, if, you can, 
if they can manage to let's say only lose one game from now until the end of the season, I think they stand yeah. a very good chance of uh, securing Europa League football because I think I said it last week in the podcast as well. Everton aren't the only team that drop points from now until the end of the season. I think what we've seen so far throughout this campaign is that it's been really, really tough for the side, you know, other than Man City, let's say, to put a consistent run of games together. And I can't really see that changing from until the season. If Everton can put together a run where, as I say, they only lose one out of their next seven games, then I think they stand a really, really good chance because there are other sides above them that are going to drop it. And, and you know, play like of Arsenal. Got to play Aston Villa twice as well, which could be a really good opportunity. So yeah, it's it's tough, but I think you know Europa League is probably the most realistic for me, and I would hope Everton will have will have this only set on that. Mm, yeah. Uh, we, we'll come back to the specifics of Arsenal and how we see it going. But Gav, um, in any other normal football week at Goodison, the, the the main story would have been that Marcel Brands has signed a new contract, but it seems, it seems to have sort of been <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhat lost, but it would be remiss of not to at least talk about yeah. it. I know it's something we've, we've discussed um, yeah. previously, but um, done and dusted, three-year contract, the, the right deal. Um, do you think the club have handed him there? Yeah, I mean, this is muted. Was it the start of the year, Phil? Was this muted? That seems a long time ago that... Uh, yeah. So staff man out that would be offered a new deal. Yeah. Uh, and I'll say what I say to Dan, uh, nothing but good news uh, for me. Uh, I like Marcel. You don't it's not necessarily obvious, but uh the amount of work that he's done within the club as director of football in terms of the shall we say the the situation he inherited, which is probably, you know, put uh needs a uh, Need a Zetterbein. Um I think he's a man of stature. Um, he's also, I think, which is the good thing, he's shown confidence in the direction of the club and the way forward. I mean, I would imagine Marcel left and he'd probably be out of work for about 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> and I think, uh, I think retaining him, you know, gives us continuity. But as I say, what I like about him, he's shown his confidence in the way for Everton as well so um, I think it's a very very good decision I don't know what the alternative there is by the way Prano what's what's at the top of Master's to-do list for, for the next three years um, I mean it's funny actually when you talk about a director of football people always automatically point at the um, the signings and say right you know so Look at the success, Alex Iwobi, failure. Therefore, you know, it, it, it's mixed. You know, it's not as simple as that. Um, all directors of football, all managers will make good signings and they'll make bad signings. I think what is important, as done, is he's made it clear that he wants to introduce a structure at Everton and a, a certain direction of travel in terms of uh, the transfer uh, trajectory of the club. Now, that's been shaken up a little bit by Carlo's introduction because you know Marcel had uh, this you know buying players of a certain age with you know sort of sell on value, which was you know a very clever way of trying to a not just improve the squad but also try and improve the uh, the club's financial standing without you know, getting in trouble with the financial fair people. Obviously, Carlo's changed that a little bit with his uh, his recent requests for some of the players that we brought in, but Marcel's being good with that. Um, you know, so he, he's been okay. Um, he's managed to manipulate the way in which he operates. 
He's also overseeing over all of the club's you know, youth academy. So lots and lots of you know work he's done, which has been very successful. Um, so I think in terms of absolute priority, uh, you do have to focus on the uh, on, on the team squad and and the areas which we do need uh, to improve. And we've spoken before, haven't we, about the areas and the positions of the team that we need to improve. We won't go over all that again. Uh, but player recruitment you know, is quite simple, his priority this summer. We need to get top-level player recruitment because we've proved this season that, OK, we've had issues you know, with injuries throughout, as most clubs have. But once our first-choice 11 uh, is interrupted, and that first-choice 11 is capable of holding the then rampant you know, champions of the pool, winning at top, you know, so drawing at Manchester United, uh, you know, so getting good results, uh, positive results. Once you dip into that and two or three players get injured, we haven't got the strength and depth. We haven't got the necessary quality, you know, so below that forever. But yeah, it's improving the quality of the first team squad uh, and the depth of quality in the first team squad, I think is his overriding priority, uh, you know, this summer. Then obviously he's got three years, you know, so to try and you know, so improve upon the other things that he's already started. Mm, just, just dawned on me there. The, the real reason that Florentino Perez is so narky this week is it's just dawned on him that he's he let Hamas Rodriguez go for nothing. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adam, how how much of the when we we sit sit down three three years time and and Miles new contract is drawing to an end how much of the um assessment and whether he's been a success or failure will also be based on how many academy products are in and around the first team squad i think you've got to place you know quite a significant amount of emphasis on that haven't you because you know as we all know director of football isn't just about you know getting these big name transfers to the club and etc etc it's a you know it's a very wide ranging job across the whole club and that includes the academy process as well so he's had three years to try and you know change things around to you know his way of thinking you know obviously, obviously David Unsworth's very prominent there now Leighton Baines is working between uh, the firm and the academy set up now well and you know it, it's fun to see him like especially at the under 23 level we're seeing a lot of younger a lot of younger talent getting into the under 23s a lot earlier we're seeing you know a couple of them lads go out on loan as well it'll be interesting to see with the likes, you know, Ellisons in the summer, you know, Jared uh, Lewis Gibson as well, coming back from loan, etc. So it'd be very interesting to see what happens on, along that sort of front. But yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be very hard to judge Marcel Brands on this right now because three years in terms of academy football and, you know, and lads ready for first team, it's not really all that long, is it? You know, you, you do need to spend a lot of, especially when you're trying to introduce, you know, a new system of work and things. It's, it's, it's very very hard to find results inside such a short period of time but when you think years that's that's the kind of time when you think and see yourself okay especially a club of you know Everton's proud history of bringing through academy lads as well that's when you want to be thinking to yourself okay right we need to start seeing the likes of you know Thierry Small who's uh, coming through you know maybe maybe him getting more regular minutes be interesting to see what happens with Anthony Gordon as well you know there's there's a lot there's a lot of a there's a lot of prospects in the academy at the minute, which you which you do think it'd be it's going to be very interesting to see they lie in three years because you know, with the with the kind of promise that they're showing at the minute, they can easily make it into into first team football. Whether it's going to be with Everton or not, you know, the, the next three years is going to uh, is going to be really interesting, and I think that's probably when you're going to be able to uh, to really judge Marcel Brands in in that sort of sense. Sam, you've you, you've you've got the, the best handle on the. The under 18s having watched watched them a lot this season and, and followed the U Cup progress. 
Has Martin Mar- got a, a lot to work in terms of the next three years? Do you think he'll be hopeful at having some of those pushing for first team uh, positions or, or certainly, you know, regular members of the squad? I think so. I think this has probably been the best we've been over the last couple of years in terms of getting players moving more freely between the under-18 and under-23 side. I think already this season, the team that beat Chelsea uh, the other day, you know, you've got Matt, Matt Fallon, uh, Lewis Warrington, Lewis Dobbins worked with the under-23s, Charlie Whitaker made his under-23s debut this season. You've got Reese Welch, Isaac Price with the first team. Zanluck Laban, the, the goalkeepers work first team. So I think one of the big things that Marcel is starting to do behind the scenes is 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 make more of a pathway that maybe we haven't had in, in the last few years that I think sometimes you need. You know, you're not always going to get a uh, Sparkle or a Jack Rodswell or Wayne Rooney like we've been treated to, you know, certainly since I've been a kid coming through. Sometimes, you know, you might have these players that might not necessarily go on to play for England, might not necessarily go on to Premier League, Champions League. But if you manage them well, if you get them a nice early loan, if you get them exposed to under-23 under football a little bit before that, you know, playing against lads who are a bit older, playing against some people dropping down from the first team, then, you know, you can start maybe making a couple of million here and, and, and ticking, ticking the finances over that way as well. Or, you know, as we've seen sometimes, you know, you like to Tom Davies, you can have lads, you know, Tom was one of those, wasn't he, that I think a few people have came out and admitted he wasn't exactly, he was doing well, but he, he might not have been the one in his age group every time catching the eye to to be a regular Premier League footballer two or three years down the line. You don't know unless you can get them into that environment, playing under 23 football or working with the first team. Training. So I think it's been really exciting that lads for the first time in what must be five, six, seven years who are in the FA Youth Cup squad are also working with the first team times and chances uh, with the under-23. So I think it is quite good. I think it's probably the most excited I've been for a while. You know, Thierry Small is probably the the biggest name out of all of them. You know, obviously we're being linked with your Bayern Unix and things like that. But there's a, there's, a, there's a decent cast emerging there. And to be honest, it's been, enjoy- it's been enjoyable to watch them in the three games against Wigan. City and Chelsea, you know, City and Chelsea have got two of the best academies in the world, but they've still tried to go out there, to play some football, you know, Charlie Whitaker up front, really lively, looks like he loves to get on the ball and run at people, Terry Small can do step overs for fun, you know, loves getting forward, really physical, really powerful, Lewis Watson, uh, a kind of screen, he's like a little scouse Allen in the middle of the park as well, so... Yeah, that game against West Brom in the quarterfinals on Tuesday. I'm sure it'll be screened live on YouTube like the other rounds have. So if anyone can, uh, if anyone can watch, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to because there's some really talented lads out there. Gav, I know you're um, up against it time-wise, so if you do yeah. need to uh, to leave us, then uh, we can yeah. bid adieu now. Thanks for your company, mate, anyway. Everton to win 1-0 tomorrow is okay. my prediction. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> on that <thought>. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gav. Um, Preno, so we'll, we will come on to, to tomorrow night and in, to in the Emirates against uh, European Super League hopefuls Arsenal. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you see it going? What, what's going to be the story of, of the game tomorrow night? Well, I'm glad uh, <clears throat> Gav's just gone because I actually would have 
told us why Arsenal were statistically worst <laughs> fixture in the history of Everton Football Club. We just never do anything there, even in Highbury days, even in you know the the, the new stadium. Last time we won there was 1996. There actually, some guessing that you know. A couple of youth fans not even have been won then. <laughs> I, I don't but, think our, uh, our cause in this in this fixture, sorry, Pern, has never been has not been helped when the a certain manager decided to copy the tactics of relegated uh, <laughs> or relegation haunted Swiss City. That was yeah. that low moment. It was. I mean, the, the, the worst one I think was the uh, the four nil in the ninety seven ninety eight season when Arsenal won the league that year and celebrated. Even Tony Adams leathered one in from like about twenty yards. Um, we genuinely thought Everton were going to be relegated that season. Although in the good years, when we finished fourth and qualified, you know, we thought for the Champions League, we still managed to beat seven nil forty eight <laughs> hours later. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a strange old venue, but there's going to be a positive to this because of the Arsenal problems. I think they've got you know four or five significant players missing. Aubameyang's injured, Lacazette's injured, um, so you know that that's a problem. And obviously, Carlo has said that literally he has a bill of health apart from the two central fielders coming into Kure. So, you know, we're in a strong position, you know, personnel-wise. Arsenal are in a weakened position. And they've got a big semi-final next week. Uh, Villarreal, I think, uh, you know, Thursday, is it next week? So, obviously, a little bit of focus on that. So, I'm throwing that all in the mix and saying that, yes, this is going to be an occasion where we're finally going to, you know, break that hoodoo. And uh, we're going to get a result. You're going all the way down there, Phil, and you're not going to go down in vain. You're going to go <laughs> down there to enjoy experiences Everton win away at Arsenal too. Wow, cliche, brilliant. Um, Adam, is, is the confidence of Gavin Preno uh, justified? Um, <laughs> honestly, though, when you're when you're talking about uh, Everton have got a clean bill of health, Arsenal haven't got a clean bill of health. All that screams to me is that Arsenal is somehow gonna gonna fight against all the odds and yeah. find a way to, to Everton. You know what that also screams to me, Adam. Friday yeah. morning, there's a rumor that somebody really cri- like crucial to Evan has picked up an injury, oh. <laughs> oh, like Gabam and Part, whatever five again. Yeah. Oh, but in my, in, in, if I'm if I'm going to be positive, then I think you know we've already gone to Manchester United this season and we've you know battled to a to a three three draw in pretty uh, pretty dire circumstances. We beat Liverpool away. We beat Spurs away. I haven't played City away yet. Less said about the Chelsea game, the better. But you know, our, our away record against these, you know, Super League hopefuls, as you as you uh, described them, I think <laughs> in a, has been pretty solid. And as I said before, you know, we, we're going to this game three points ahead of Arsenal. Haven't played one game more than them. I don't think their recent run of games in the Premier League has been all that impressive. I think especially they were they were uh, fairly, fairly lucky to get a draw against Fulham, to be honest, uh, last time out. Um, I mean, who, who are we to say <laughs> our, uh, <laughs> our team goes at home to Fulham, though, to uh, to be honest. But, you know, with Everton's away form this season, I think you've got to go into it confidence with Dominic Caplet-Lewin coming into the side as well, presumably. You've got, to, you've got to go in with some level of confidence. And if Everton can play in the same manner that they did against Tottenham, actually take a couple more of their chances this time and maybe not, maybe not give Eddie and Kerr three chances to score <laughs> back. Then you know maybe, maybe they'll be able to come out with a win. I don't think it's going to be a clean sheet. I think it's going to be. Uh, I'll, I'll stay positive and I'll I'll say we'll we'll sneak a two-one win. So over to you. Three-two, three-two to the toffees. I reckon. 
Wow. Dominic, oh, Dominic Carvalho back in the goals and get our uh, get our Champions League push back back on back on track. What's what's telling you with such confidence? I think this is just this should be on paper our perfect game, shouldn't it? You know, we're weirdly this season better away from home than we are at home. I, I don't for one minute think these are a good team. I don't think they're a very strong team. I don't for the life of me know they got invited to this. Super League, you know, and all right, we've had our own problems this season, so you know, the draw with Fulham, you, you can't go much. But I just think we're better than them, and I think, you know, as Carl said in his press conference today, it's the first time along he's got every player available to him now, apart from Decore and Jabaman. We haven't had Jabaman for the best part of two years, so it's only really at the moment Decore missing from, from the squad overall in terms of what we've had available for most of the season, so. You know, he should be able to put a really, really good side out there tomorrow. Hopefully, it's an attacking side. Hopefully, you know, there was signs against Tottenham that maybe I just start to think we might have to take the handbrake off a little bit in these last six or seven games if we're to get there. You know, we I think some of the bad results have just come from maybe being a little bit too careful, you know, trying to just nick games that if we took it by the for the neck, we might have won easily. But we'll never know. So... I think if we play in the front foot, like we, you know, the last two home games against Tottenham and Crystal Palace, I think if we took our chances, we'd have been looking more than five, six goals in both games. So hopefully there's more of that at the Emirates tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen for the first time that I could remember, I've seen us win at Anfield this season. So I'm hoping to repeat it at the Emirates. Good stuff. Yeah, no, I, I share some of the confidence. I think 2-1, I think. Um... We, you know, by and large, you take the Brighton performance out of the equation. You know, we've attacked well against Palace, take chances, played well generally against Spurs, and there's just two moments and this at the back which really hurt us, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, confident two-one Everton, and um, yeah, back back in the mix, and one of the five wins chalked off the uh, his uh, whiteboard in his office. So, uh, finger crossed. Chaps, thank you very much for your company. Good stuff, as always. Thanks to Gav as well. Of course, we had to dart out just before the end there. And thank you very much for listening. We will be back uh, Monday, I guess, back to the normal routine of matches, reviewing, uh, hopefully, a victory at Arsenal and um, looking ahead to an important Youth Cup game, of course, on Tuesday evening as uh, Everton's youngsters go to West Brom looking to book a place in the semi-finals of the Youth Cup. Thank you very much. This has been... Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.